everyone. Welcome to the Defiant Podcast. The internet of money is being built with blockchain technology and without banks. We call it DeFi, short for decentralized finance. And this is where you can hear the builders and users of this cutting edge world tell their stories firsthand. I'm your host, Camila Russo. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Defiant Podcast. After a brief break at the end of last year, we're back stronger and better than ever to continue chatting with the greatest and brightest minds in DeFi and Web3. At The Defiant, we believe 2022 is going to be another explosive year for crypto, and we have a stellar lineup of guests coming up. I personally think that bull or bear market, there is simply nothing stopping builders in decentralized finance from taking this space forward and we'll be covering each twist and turn with objective quality journalism as always. Our first guest is our very own Robin Schmidt, aka Supermassive. Robin leads multimedia at The Defiant and produces our video content, which has become known for raising the bar way beyond what's expected, not just from crypto videos, but from all of YouTube. If you haven't already, check out and subscribe to our channel. I wanted to do the first video of the year with Robin to get the chance to talk about The Defiant itself, what moves us, what sets us apart, and what we're expecting for 2022. Also, after a year of working together, I wanted to finally shine the spotlight on the man behind the video host and hear the story of how he got here. Stay tuned. Before we get to it, here's a word about our sponsors. When you shop for plane tickets, you probably use Kayak, Expedia, or Google to compare prices. So why would you limit yourself to just one exchange when you trade crypto? When you make your trades, you want to make sure you're getting the best possible price. That's why you should be using Matcha. Matcha directs your orders across all the various DeFi exchanges on Ethereum, Polygon, Binance Smart Chain, Phantom, and Avalanche to find the best price without taking any commissions. Matcha splits your order across multiple liquidity sources. It also allows you to make limit orders on chain so you can set and forget your trades. New to Matcha is an integrated fiat on-ramp to purchase crypto directly with your credit or debit card. Head over to matcha.xyz defiant and connect your wallet to start trading. Nexo is a crypto lending and exchange platform where you can buy crypto at the touch of a button using your credit or debit card and start earning double-digit annual interest that is paid out daily. Nexo supports all of the major digital assets, including Bitcoin, Ethereum, Solana, Polygon, and Polkadot. You can also borrow cash and stablecoins tax-efficiently against your digital assets without selling them. Nexo complies with high security standards and is audited in real time. Nearly 3 million people in over 200 countries trust Nexo with their digital assets. Whether you're just getting started or you're a seasoned pro, get the most out of your crypto today at nexo.io. That's N-E-X-O .io. Unstoppable Domains is the number one provider of NFT domains. With your unique NFT domain, such as camilla.crypto or camilla.nft, you can replace your long, complex wallet addresses verify ownership of your NFTs, log in to Web3 apps, and join tens of thousands of people using them as their Twitter usernames. Better yet, with unstoppable domains, you don't have to worry about gas or renewal fees. Also, you will own them forever. 
Go to unstoppabledomains.com and get yourname.crypto.nft or a range of other endings for as low as 5 bucks. Sirion is mission control for Web3, giving users the ability to trade DeFi tokens, transfer assets across chains, and show off their NFT collections all in one place. Sirion offers a multi-chain experience with asset tracking and trading across seven networks, including Polygon, Optimism, Arbitrum, and BSC, so you'll never miss an opportunity waiting on gas fees to drop. NFT owners can also see their favorite collectibles and art as widgets on their iPhones or Apple Watches and send them to friends and family in a few clicks. Users can explore every corner of the metaverse with Sirion from their web, desktop, and mobile apps. Head to Sirion.io to connect your wallet and get started today. Here we are at the Defiant Podcast, starting the new year. This is a very special podcast. It's the first of a new season. Um, and for the first time, I'm interviewing someone at the Defiant itself, uh, who you should all already know, hopefully. Um, Robin Schmidt, head of multimedia of Defiant Media. Welcome, Robin, to the Defiant Podcast. I feel deeply under pressure, like it's being interviewed by the boss here. It's terrifying. It's terrifying. I, I Actually, when you said that you wanted to do this, I thought this makes total sense. But it's also, it's a, it's a little bit like, hey, look at us. But actually, you know, when, you, when we were talking about what we wanted to talk about this, this episode, it does feel appropriate that we should kind of say how we got here and, and who we are, because I think... For me personally, the journey of getting to where we are now, which is 100,000 subscribers on YouTube, it was a moment to take stock and go, yeah, actually, you know what? People really like us. They actually like us enough to subscribe and stay subscribed. And one of the things you were saying was you would like people to get to know us better. I think I've been so obsessed with being really professional and really mm -hmm. on point that I've sort of left a little bit of who we are and what we're about out of the equation deliberately because... It can feel a little bit cringe at times, but mm -hmm. when we started posting stuff that was more personal, people really responded well to it. They liked knowing more. They liked feeling like they were a bit more connected with us because we're not on a pedestal. We're just, mm -hmm. you know, we're, we're people that are just exploring this space professionally and do it every day and sharing our journey as we go. So it, yeah, it feels kind of appropriate to do that. I thought it was about time. Um, we've been doing the podcast for... Uh, over a year, uh, you've been heading the Defined Video for over a year as well. Um, and like you said, like we're both focused on being, um, you know, extremely professional, unbiased, objective, and covering uh, DeFi and Web3 in shining a light on all the different developments and all, all the different personalities that shape the space. Um, but we have neglected to just like talk about ourselves and um, explain and, you know, share kind of what we're about, what's driving us and where we come from. So, you know, you are also a, an excellent interviewer and anchor. So I, this is going to be a, a special podcast where we interview each other so we can Kind of both share um, our stories, but let's start with you. I actually don't know much about you, like since like pre-defined and harmony times. Like how what happened? What's it, what's the story? Originally, I, I was supposed to be a musician. That was where I was destined to go. And when I say musician, I mean classical musician. So I was 
from the age of five, six, I was singing. And then mm -hmm. I started playing the violin, the piano, pretty much the same time. So I was one of those, those I, w I was a band camp geek. I had a bowl haircut. I sang in one of the best choirs in the world, Westminster Cathedral Choir. And I did a lot of professional wow. choir music at a very early age. And that was where I was supposed to go. It, it kind of arrived at me when I was around 16, 17, that there was more to life than music. And by, you know, between the ages of seven and 10, I, I pretty much done it. I done I sung for the Pope, done what? multiple recordings. Yeah, wow. done a ton of stuff. And, but what it had done, it was it sort of set up my brain creatively to be receptive to, to stuff. Um, but I really, what I wanted to do was make films and I, and I never thought that was going to be an avenue that was available to me, but I, but I managed to set up a company when I was 21, uh, just coincidentally when MacOS was moving from MacOS nine to MacOS 10, and mm -hmm. we were starting to see desktop computers that you could edit video on. So it was an iMac. I had a blue Dalmatian iMac. All of this stuff was just like start up out of your parents' bedroom. Just make it work somehow by hook or by crook. And this was the first kind of big evolution of the film industry from being a place where if you couldn't afford 35 millimeter film or you couldn't go to film school, you were not relevant and you couldn't compete to a place where people had DV cameras and they could compete. So that was my first taste of taking something scrappy that shouldn't have a place in the world and then fighting to make it valid and and have a place and important enough for people who would normally have ignored you to take notice of you. And if that sounds like something familiar to crypto, it's because that has been where I've been at since I started my professional life. Just not being respected, being ignored, and having to work three times as hard to gain that respect and be in a position to do something about it. What was also interesting about that time was that we were forced to learn a number of different skills simultaneously that would have been normally taken by other people. So film is not just one discipline. It's film, sound, production design. It's acting. It's the ability to choreograph stuff. It's directing things. It's, it's like the decathlon. All of those skills demand that you learn them to a degree that is good enough to stand scrutiny from people like you, like me, that watch stuff every day. We're very, very, very good at understanding when something is good and when it's bad. We just know. That's because mm -hmm. we're exposed to it all the time. And it's worse than it's ever been because we just watch so much amazing stuff. And when something doesn't feel like that, then we know. So over the course of the last 20 years, that's where I've been at. But in your head, you think movies is the goal. I want to be a filmmaker. I want to be in Hollywood. And that's wonderful. Unfortunately, the film industry is very toxic, but it's also in the US. In the UK, it's not quite the same deal. And it's very, very difficult to get films funded. And it's very, very difficult to find good writers. And writing is the thing that makes everything possible. Despite mm -hmm. all the technological advances in the world, somebody who can write, who can put a word after another word and make you feel something, it's still the most kind of rare and special but also undervalued skill anywhere in the world. And yet it's also the easiest to access. Everyone can pick up a pen and write something, but it's also just, it's so undervalued and ignored as a skill. But when you go anywhere into creative arts, you realize that that, that, that ability to just craft something in words 
is incredibly important. So from a filmmaking perspective, just finding people who can write for the screen, if you can find that, and then most people sort of teach themselves how to do that, it's a thing. I, I failed in all of these things. And I failed for lots of different reasons. I, I got really good at being good at giving people what they want, but I sort of failed at being good at giving people what I wanted. And mm. I just got to a point where I was, I, I was kind of ready to make a film and I made a film and it didn't do that well. And then I had a family. I was just sitting in there at this kind of weird point in my life going, what do I do now? And I realized that but, this, what you like, what kind of films were you making? Yeah. So that's a good question. I started out making extreme sports films. So I was on a mountain mm. somewhere and a snowboarder was jumping off a cliff or a ski boarder, ski, skier was jumping off a cliff. And, you know, we were making exciting extreme sports films. I, I still love extreme sports. I think people pushing themselves to the absolute limit on camera and taking those massive risks. That's, that's an adrenaline buzz like no other. And then when you're there and you're filming it, you just have this very special connection with the athletes that you work with. And I, I still love that. Uh, and then moved into TV, ex- uh, music videos, and then it sort of moved into corporate because you have to, you have to go into brand films and all this other stuff. Mm. And you have to remember that things are very, very limited. There were no camera phones when we started. So now anyone could pick up a phone and just be a content creator. But then that wasn't the case. You had to have a camera. You had to know how to edit. And you had to know how to take your crappy footage, which was shot on DV, and turn it into something that was vaguely passable. And and so just kind of gradually got better at this. and But just got to a point where I just needed to... I just needed to do something differently. And I thought what that was, was go somewhere else and start shooting TV commercials. Because TV commercials is where you make the most money, you have the most support, you have budget for lighting, everything else. What you don't realize is when you move into TV commercials that you literally pull, claw your own eyeballs out because every creative idea that you have is just rounded down to the, the bare minimum because you have mm-hmm. campaigns that need to work in Poland, that need to work in Germany, that need to work in Japan. And so every single stakeholder in that arrangement just says, I'm not sure our audience would like this. I think she should be wearing, I think she should be wearing ballet shoes. And everyone goes, you know what? You're right. Nobody says, no, you're wrong. They always say, oh, yeah, I think you're right. Because they're terrified of what happens if they say, no, you're wrong. And then they're wrong. So they will say, you know, you're right. And then everything gets kind of rounded down and rounded down and rounded Mm -hmm. I mean, I've had conversations with people where it's like, there's no trees in China. So you're making a product, a film that's about, you know, air quality. And then what you can show is only urban buildings with no trees because there's no trees in the environment in which people who buy these products would ever find themselves or ever live like where's the humanity in that and once Mm. you once you get into that feedback loop it's very very hard to get up in the morning and look at yourself in the eye and go yeah yeah, i'm doing it and so i just came to this realization that i needed to make a change and i thought the change was refresh my reel make a new statement as a filmmaker and and put together a body of work that would say, here I am, I'm different. This is me. And of course, making films is really expensive. Like it's genuinely mind boggling and stupidly expensive. If you want to make them at a level where you have complete control and you can Mm -hmm. express your true vision, it just is. And, and so that's when I got to the point, there's a long winded, crazy story where I went, you know what? 
my problem isn't me or creativity or anything else. My problem is money. So how do I solve money? So I thought, ah, I'm, I'm smart enough to figure this out. Why don't we just, why don't I just figure out how to trade the market? Because like, yeah, yeah, I could probably learn that. I could probably learn that and I would figure it out. I just got interested in it. And then two things happened. My brother-in-law said, yeah, I'm training to be an architect, but maybe I should just be a Bitcoin miner. I was like, Bitcoin miner? That's a thing? And then my boss- What year was this? Dr- this was 2017. And my, my, okay. my boss just randomly on a drive down to Belgium for a job. He says, wow, this cryptocurrency I bought, it's like, it's, it's really going up. Like, wow, I've made a lot of money here. I was like, oh, that's almost a muffler and mortgage for my house. It turns out he, he bought 400 Ethereum pretty much at the ICO without wow. any knowledge of anything. He'd just been to South by Southwest and seen probably Joe Lubin pitch Ethereum at South by Southwest mm-hmm. and then bought it because that's the kind of guy he was. Those two things coincided and I went, I should take a look at this. Rabbit hole, light bulb. And it took me a while to figure out what was going on here. But I I, I saw, firstly, I saw a route to being able to fund my own creative projects, but I also saw a route to maybe creating a paradigm or a route or something that was going to satisfy the problems that I have with the place that I was in, which is I just thought everything in my industry was bullshit because mm. it is. And, and like so many amazing talents just get crushed down to zero because they're in the service of these agencies and these brands that just are so disconnected from the real world and from humanity that everything is delivered by robots and by you know focus groups and everything else. And I hate that. Everything about that is just completely wrong for me. Fast forward from that, 2017, trading shit coins, ICOs. I went through an entire cycle of just doing everything you're not supposed to do and came out of it going, okay, okay. And the one thing that happened out of that that was really wild was I ended up being a seed investor in Harmony. Mm. And with Harmony, I was a real skeptic about Harmony. I was like, I had this opportunity. I was like, great, let's do it. But I was like, why do we need another layer one? So I reached out to Harmony and said, listen, I think you guys are really interesting. And I think there's a story here that needs telling, but I don't know what your story is, but I'm someone that tells stories. So why don't, why don't we have a chat about how maybe I could tell your story? Because I would love to know. And then that began a kind of almost a 10 month conversation with them on and off. I then went out to San Francisco and it's a short hop from there to Palo Alto. And I just went and met them. And then <laughs> After after like spending a day and a half with them, I just went, I'd much rather work with these guys than anyone else that I'm, you know, anything else I'm doing right now. And I just did this massive right turn, just went, this is, this is probably the stupidest thing I could ever do, but it might end up being the smartest thing I could ever do. From there, I ended up being appointed Harmony's creative director. And we kind of tried to figure out what that meant. And then we realized that maybe making videos would be the right way to go. And then from there, I ended up contacting you to do an interview with you because I realized that Harmony had no footprint in DeFi and that Mm. we needed to because that's where the industry was going. And I wanted Harmony to be relevant in that space. I contacted you. And then out of the blue, we kind of just, uh, I just said, listen, I make videos and I think you're cool. Maybe I could make videos for you. And that's how this (laughs) This this happened. happened. It was so (laughs) random. So wow, red. amazing. So you yeah. okay, so you you started out as a like 
musician. You started out in the like music world uh, as a choir boy. And then, you yes. know, like that's kind of, that was your like starting point on your initial passion. Um, then that uh, developed into storytelling, um, filmmaking. And was, I mean, were you like self-taught on like making films or like did you yeah. go to school for it? Yeah, no, no, self-taught and everything. Yeah, there's basically been a pattern of behavior in my life, which was I don't trust people. Hmm. And so uh, it's two things. I don't trust people. And I also think that people are not going to want to work with me because I feel like I don't Why fit not? in. Yeah, hmm. because, I, because I don't feel like I fit in. And, and I feel like the, there's always this, this is what it's supposed to be. And I'm coming from here, over here and you're not going to want to work with me. So instead of hmm. me suffering the pain of rejection i just go you know what i'm going to switch on my brain i'm going to learn it for myself i'm going to prove you wrong even though i never even gave you the opportunity to say yes or no that was where i was mm. at and I, and I don't know where that's come from and i don't know why i was at that place but I, I i just basically i think from when i was like 20 years old i applied for tons of intern positions at production companies in the uk Mm -hmm. to, to just work in film or television or whatever. And I got rejected by all of them. I could not understand why. Wow, It's just pure arrogance or whatever, but I just couldn't understand why. And I just said, you know what? Fuck you. I, I'm going to just do it by myself. And that's uh, been my that's attitude that's ever from. since. Hmm. Yeah, it's been, it's been my attitude ever since. Is I will learn it myself and I will do it better. And then I have complete control and you don't own me. And, and that's it. And it's just been this rebellious need to prove myself need to be better despite nobody ever expressing anything that was remotely critical but somehow feeling that that was there and and, and needing to kind of front up to it so hmm. one of the hardest thing I, I find is just asking for help like i just don't do it yeah so i think like know. that that kind of like rebellious attitude of like you know i'm my own boss or like you don't own me like that sort of um take on life I, I feel like that would have prepared you to like get crypto um you know the fact that okay this is the system that kind of allows that sort of ownership that kind of you don't you don't need um you don't need like acceptance from all the established parties like this is its own individual system and you were already on that kind of mindset through your own career so maybe like when it was when it came the time to take a look at crypto um it kind of like like you just like got it on top of the fact that you thought okay like this might be a tool that enables me to um to produce the kind of content that that you wanted to produce yeah, and, and valuing storytelling and the mm -hmm. art of storytelling. And I think that when you say storytelling, it seems to polarize people. They either think it's bullshit and that you're there being spun a yarn and it's just like fluff and fairy dust. <clears throat> or there's, or there, I, I, you know, or there's like, you're shilling me something, so I can't trust it. But then there's like, genuine storytelling where you lean in and you you need to have more of it and that's fundamentally human and so and i i think a half of us mistrust it and the other half of us need it like a drug and for me the the mechanics of that understanding how people 
lean into an idea or lean into something is really seductive. And it, the, the problem is that it sort of gets co-opted by marketing teams and used to sell things. But I think what, what I'm old enough now to realize is that you can use it in a very effective way to simply unclog some pipes in critical thinking. And I think that's what, what, what crypto needs more than anything else. It's just like, just this tiny little bit of deprogramming or declogging of just the pathways that allow you to think about things in a certain way. That's when crypto is at its best. When it's at its worst, people are just sending you stuff left, right, and center. But like, there's a, that little moment where you trigger something in, in somebody. And it's rather than tell somebody this is what you should buy or tell someone that this is a place that you should look, you just help them see it. Yeah. And that sounds so culty and everything else, but like I'm really aware of the responsibility we bear at this place to 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 not just give it to people. I want there to be a, a gap. I, I'll take you this far, but then the rest of it's on you. And I think if you can do that, allow gaps and 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 leave moments of intuition for people, then you've really done the job of great storytelling because you know, when um the the, the great story master robert mckee he he does this workshop it's three days and he'll just talk at you for eight hours a day for three days solid it's amazing and he'll explain to you how you know different films were but he always makes this example like at in you know the end of empire strikes back luke skywalker discovers that darth vader is his dad and like you reach all the way back to the beginning of film one when you know darth vader's bad and you go oh my god it's his dad <laughs> that's the moment you want for people. You want them to understand it for themselves. And I think what most people come to crypto content for is they want to be told what to do and they want to be told where to park their money yeah. and they want to be told everything, but they don't, they don't want that at all. What they want is to be empowered to make that decision for themselves. They don't know that's what they want, but I always use this example in, in uh, when we talk about the metaverse, for instance, the greatest gift we can give people is agency. It's the power to control your own destiny. And yet everyone is acts as if they want to be spoon-fed. But deep down, the subtext of all of that is, I don't want to be powerless. and I don't want to be spoon-fed. I want to be in a position where I don't need you anymore because I'm, you know, I'm aware enough, enough to make the decisions for myself. And I hope that that's what we're able to do is just create fertile ground for people to plant their own seeds and be able to to make those decisions for themselves because then then people are actually acting independently and individually in in a way that's much more productive for them yeah i think um the the kind of people that want to be spoon-fed and that want to be told exactly what what to do with their money i mean there, there are people who just want that and are not interested in learning for themselves or having agency or any of that. Um, but those are the people who are not here for the long term. You know, they just want to make you know a quick buck and come and go. Um, but I think what's different, um, why we do our content in a different way. And we're not here to kind of tell you what to do and and how to make money quick. We're here to kind of um, more educate 
uh, our, our audience and and tell them the story of what we're seeing in, in the space and what's important and you know just like tell them what is happening just like objectively and have them make up their mind because the kind of people who are interested in that are in it for the long term you know they're they're in it um, because they you know they they're, they're interested in this new, in this new paradigm um, they want to work in the space they they want to invest their their money but like in in a more long term with a more long term horizon and that's the kind of audience that we are seeking you know like we're not interested in in kind of the yeah someone who's in to just like make a quick buck so yeah i, I don't think that like everyone um is here to kind of like see that light bulb moment of like oh wow like okay this is uh, a new um kind of value uh internet um like internet with with value attached and where users are owners like all of that is really interesting um but it's not for everyone and i think i'm fine with that like uh, you know our content is for a specific kind of people and um i'm, I'm very proud to be catering to that that set uh that, that group well you know th this year was sorry last year was weird in that respect because mm -hmm. everything was blowing up and it i i see now a lot of people whose profiles are enormous and i and i question why maybe it's on twitter or on instagram and i forget that there was this huge moment particularly on clubhouse back in the spring when nft yeah. blew up the people really grew massive presences for themselves and when i go and listen to them i'm like who are you you don't know anything how how is this possible? How is this this worked out this way? And I think if you look at if you were looking at the statistics on YouTube in our space, and we were, the the temptation is to go, well, this is what gets big numbers. This is what gets, you know, big attention, big numbers. It, this is what goes viral. And we never did that because I just I don't know, I just can't do it. I can't be that person that's going to just straight face go into a subject that i i don't find interesting personally but i know we'll just do big numbers so i, I i'm just i'm just it just doesn't feel right for some reason and yeah. I, what what you know the youtube gurus will tell you to do is to lean into that to go there because that's what's going to help you grow and growth is everything. And I think one of the things that we stopped doing very, very early last year was we stopped running ads because we knew ads were just pissing people off. So we stopped doing it. Once you stop running ads, you're not making money from ads. So therefore you don't care how many views you get. And that whole paradigm, your success is directly linked to how many views you get goes away. And so I think I, I'm much happier to say, the, the the quality of the output that we put out, the way we do it, the weirdness of the way we do it, is is our signature. And if that's for you, stick around. If it's not for you, then go away. I'm I'm fine with that. I don't need you, and I don't and I and I don't think anybody needs you. And if it's not for you, that's totally fine, because ultimately, we're not about maximum numbers and everything else. We're about this will take a bit of time, but the people who stick around are going to really stick around, and I'm good with that. I'm really good with that, yeah. but it took but it took me a while to be good with that. I'll be honest, because I, you know, we judge our success 
you judge our success by the pure numbers, but I don't think those numbers, particularly in the niche industry that we're in, tell the whole story. No, for sure. I, I think there's a balance for sure because um, the content that we do, uh, that we make, is is great. Uh, like the the videos that you guys are, are putting out every day, um, they they're better than most. Uh, content out there on on YouTube, not just on like crypto, uh, like YouTube. Um, so for me, it's it's a matter of how do we make sure that the people who need to see this are seeing this. So that's kind of where you we need to have that balance between um, going into kind of the clickbaity headlines, making sure thumbnails are catchy, um, making sure we are you know, um, take, paying attention to search and kind of wh what that's doing, because I want everyone who wants to see our content to, to see it. And like when they search for the latest DeFi term that the defined comes up because we're covering it probably the best or among the best. So, you know, that's, that's kind of where that balance is and where like the numbers I'm, I'm looking at because I'm seeing, Okay, there's uh, how many like 10 million DeFi users right now? I think we can have like 1% of that. Like 1% of like total DeFi user universe should be subscribed to the Defiance YouTube channel because like what are you doing if you're not watching, if you're in DeFi and not watching our channel basically. So that's that's kind of where my mind frame is. It's not like big numbers because of big numbers sake. It's because like I want us to reach our full kind of potential audience. Like I, I want like our content to be uh, delivered to the people that it, it needs to, to reach basically. Yeah. And it's funny because we, we, I, I watched the, I read the comments and I think, you know, back a year ago or a year and a half ago, we were making one video a week. Imagine that <laughs> one video a week. And we will put so much love into those videos. And I see people going, this is the best video you've ever made. This is my favorite video of yours, like on a video we made last week. I'm like, you guys haven't seen our old stuff. We put mm. so much care and attention and love. Oh and my God, our old stuff was stuff. amazing. Yeah. And our old stuff was amazing. We, we just can't do that anymore because like putting out five, six videos a week, it's impossible. I miss that. And I, mm. I, I'm, I'm working hard to try and figure out a way to, to re-inject some of that. And one of the ways we have to do is make our videos shorter and therefore there's more time to put in things. And then some of the things we can do is we can, because we have the power, we can just be very, very, very different to mm -hmm. anything else that's out there. And then we, we, we've talked about this a lot, about where, where does the Defiant go to be a Web3 media company? Because I, you know, I made a film last week about Web3 like what it actually means, what it, what it, you know, what, where it comes from, everything else. But I, I think it'd be interesting to hear your take on what a Web three media company could be, because it's always been your vision, like the most trusted source in DeFi, but also Web three media company. Where, where do you see this? What is, what is the Defiant as a Web three media proposition? I just like love this this vision, um, and to get into it, I'll just like give a brief uh, background on the Defiant itself because. Yeah, people listen to the podcast and I'm not sure if they know kind of the, the background of, of the Defiant. So um, I started the Defiant in 2019, about six months after leaving Bloomberg. 
where I was uh, working as a reporter for eight years uh, in New York, Buenos Aires, Madrid, and then back in New York where I still am. So I left Bloomberg to finish The Infinite Machine, uh, the book on Ethereum I published in 2020. And as I was researching for the infinite machine i um you know i saw DeFi emerge this was like 2019 2018 2019 and i was just like there's this entire new financial system being created from scratch on top of ethereum and nobody's covering it um like not even crypto media was covering it and to me it was amazing because it was like crypto was finally delivering on its promise of being a viable uh, alternative to traditional finance and nobody was paying attention. So I was like, there's an opportunity here to cover this space. Um, I'm a financial journalist. I also know about Ethereum, like I was writing the book, so I should be the one to write this newsletter. So I started the Defined as a newsletter on Substack. Um, The initial idea was that it would be a like side thing that I would become an independent writer, a freelance journalist, and I would have this DeFi newsletter on the side, um, and that's it. But the Defiant like quickly just like grew and started taking up all of my time. Um, so I was writing the book and writing the newsletter. And then when I finally finished the book, I was like, uh, I'm going all in on the Defiant. Like I saw huge potential there to be like so early in the space covering it and becoming the trusted source. So I said, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm going for it. And, and that's how it grew. Um, so I was um, doing the newsletter by myself, 2019. Then I started bringing on uh, contributors, uh, writers. Or I started doing this podcast. Um, we started collaborating first with Harmony and you and Alp started the YouTube channel in 2020. Um and then I, you know, I raised some some money on a seed round, and with the view of um, this is the most, this has to be the most trusted information platform for DeFi and Web three. Um, from my training at Bloomberg, I I view information as both content and data, especially when you're dealing with financial information. So to me, it was clear, I need to make something like a Bloomberg terminal, like a data platform for DeFi. Like, like I don't think anyone is actually delivering on a very good DeFi-focused data platform. There's great like crypto data platforms, like Messari does a great job. Um, Token Terminal does a great job, but like DeFi-focused data in, in one place uh, that's not like fragmented, that's standardized where you can get like all, all the data you want uh, that's like that's comparable and so on, you don't have that. So I raised money to bring on a full-time team and to build this data platform. Um, but for me, like you said, besides becoming the most trusted source in DeFi, for me, it's important that the Defiant covers DeFi and Web3 from inside DeFi and Web3. Like we're not like Bloomberg Crypto, which does a good job, but covers the space from a distance. So when you read a story about crypto on Bloomberg, you always get this kind of like very detached tone, kind of like looking down on the space, like, oh, look at these crazy kids. Look at what they're doing with their funny money. And you get this kind of tone in all of financial media. 
Uh, we're not like that. Like I, we're in this space. We're part of the like these communities, um, and as much as the defiant is objective and professional about covering DeFi, we are bullish on this space. Like we do have a position, um, and we do have a view on DeFi and Web three. Like we believe this uh, space will continue to grow. Uh, we believe that it's a future of finance. It's why we're here. So because we're in the space, um, the Defiant as a, like a media organization has to adopt, um, or I, I, would, I, I want to push it to adopt all of the tools that uh, Web3 is developing to improve how we organize ourselves. So that's, that's kind of where I come from. That's the why behind um behind why uh, the defiant uh, will become uh, increasingly decentralized it's because we're in it we believe in this so if we believe in like that this space is the future why wouldn't we apply all the developments and tools that this space is is delivering to the defiant itself so that's kind of what's driving this and then the how i think you know that's very much um, in in kind of an experimental stage. Like I don't think anybody has the right answer to what a Web three media company looks like. Like ev- like everyone is starting to experiment with this. But I think at the core, it's this idea of leveraging our community and leveraging our audience in the same way that um, users of Financial uh, protocols in 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 DeFi um, become participants, um, and you know, like you become you are a user of Uniswap, but you you're also an, an owner, and you you also have the power to vote on on governance decisions and so on. That's kind of the same principle that I think will be uh, behind how the Defiant decentralizes. So. At the core, it will be about giving our audience and our community uh, more ownership and more more agency um, and incentivizing participation on the defined itself. But there is also a balance there because, like I said, we always will keep our vision or like mission intact, which is to be to be the most trusted information source in DeFi and Web3. So to me, like there will always have to be a centralized editorial body controlling the information and making sure that we um, that that all the standards that we've set are, are kept. So I think that's kind of the delicate balance that, that we have to uh, play as we move forward with, with this plan. It's so funny because you're talking about stuff that I remember so clearly, 2019, and working with Harmony and and kind of digging through real difficult problems around just basic things like consensus and running nodes and sharding and these things which are seem to be sort of taken for granted. But 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 like back then there were no bridges. Having a bridge was a big deal, Hmm. and DeFi was this weird ultra niche it was so far like it was just so far beyond anyone's kind of radar like make a DAO, like 
this is just weird. Why would you use ETH as collateral to take a loan? Like, who does that? This is just weird. And then, like, it's just like this strange bunch of people. And like, you pretty, you knew them all. I knew them all. Like, there was probably like a hundred people who were active and talking about DeFi. And it just felt like if you were in that circle, the conversations were so ludicrously highbrow and mm-hmm. technical. It just felt like this giant circle jerk. But it was also it's actually kind of nice and kind of fun because you just had this feeling that there was this thing. I also, I was, I, I kept it at arm's reach because I didn't get it. I was like, well, this is cool and it's interesting and everything else. But like, I thought, yeah, really? Cause it was just so, it was so turned in on itself. And then like <laughs> suddenly compound wifey and like all of these things and exploded and, and out of nowhere, Andrakoni is a rock star. Like, Andrakoni yeah. is not a rock star. He was this weird <laughs> South African nerd. <laughs> and, like, suddenly, like, oh, out of nowhere, he's this Jesus figure. It was so, so weird. But also, it was a cool as well. And, like, the, the, the conversations that – because I remember first talking to you, I reached out to you because – this is why. Because I was following Twitter. Someone said, mm-hmm. what, what are the most important podcasts or, or news that is to follow? It was you and Bankless. And like Bankless was just a one-man band at that point. It was it was Ryan and it was you. And that was it. That was hmm. that was the whole show yeah. in DeFi. There was nobody else. So I was like, okay, well, I'm gonna reach out to this committer Risa person. I think I reached out to you on LinkedIn and like for some reason you responded. And then we like we on did LinkedIn? an interview. That's so on, weird. Yeah, I don't I even really, look at LinkedIn anymore. <laughs> I know, right? Who answers messages <laughs> That's on so LinkedIn? Random. That's how, that's how I reached you. And then, and then I, we did this oh, I'm interview. I'm so glad on, I answered on, that message. <laughs> we did this interview on a rooftop in New York. It rained yes. and we had to run inside mm-hmm. and then we were in your apartment. And it was just a bit weird. <laughs> and then, and then I kind of, kind of, I just reached out to you again. I like, because it felt like from a harmony perspective, we were just, we were so tied up with all this stuff, trying to get the protocol up and running. But this DeFi thing was taking flight and weirdly enough, one of the team members at Harmony was Korean. He, every single week, he said, you guys need to look at Terra. This is 2019. Imagine where Terra wow. was at in 2019. He's like, you guys need to look at Terra. This is, this is amazing. I was like, nah, whatever, Harmony is the thing. And like six months, like 10 months later, I was like, yeah, no, Terra, Terra is awesome. But it was, bec- it was because of him. Like, I just remember his voice going, you really, you guys really need to look at this. And we were, yeah, but it's South, it's South Korean. Who cares? Who cares? And it just, it just, just tells you it mm-hmm. can come from anywhere. It can come from anywhere. And and that's what we need to be aware of. And this, I think it's good that we have a, a moderately non us centric view on things as well as obviously having a, a US centric yeah. thing. But, you know, it's very, very easy sure. sometimes to, to be seduced by the idea that US regulators rule the roost and, what they say goes, but there is another world out there. And you know, there's a perfect example of it. Like Doquan Terra, you know, whether they succeed or not, it's been a big story, been a really big story. Yeah. yeah. I think, you know, that's, that's the, another thing that um, I like about how we've approached content is, um, you know, non, not so U uh, S centric. I think we could be better at that for sure, but you know, none, I mean, our, our team isn't, I mean, I'm, I'm in the U S but I'm Chilean. 
I've, I've, I've lived in Europe. I've obviously lived in South America, besides Chile and in Argentina. Um, you are from the UK, based in the Netherlands. Alp is uh, Turkish slash Azerbaijan. Azerbaijan, yeah. You're all there in, in Europe. Um, and we, we have a pretty kind of diverse uh, team. So I, I think that gives us a, a different view on things um, that, you know, I, I think is not always the case for uh, the most popular crypto uh, crypto uh, content producers. Um, not only that, like not only kind of the diversity in, in terms of um, where we're all at and our view on the world and, and things, um, but also I think we've we're we're just like very careful about not adopting any sort of maximalism, which is very hard to do. I mean, for me, um, to be honest, like it's hard to not lean towards kind of the ETH maximalism because it's it's just what I know. You know, it's like I wrote a book on Ethereum. Like it's my network. It's kind of the people I know. It's honestly like it's what I use the most, and it's where kind of most of DeFi is. But I know that I shouldn't be blinded and, and we as a news organization shouldn't be blinded um, to other uh, developing layer ones, to other applications. And I think our audience have really uh, thanked us uh, for, for that because there's a lot going on outside of Ethereum, you know, like, sure, Ethereum, it's drawing a lot of most of activity, but there's so many interesting things going on outside of it. Like you mentioned Terra. Um, like the whole cosmos um, ecosystem. I mean, there's there's so much. Uh, we covered like Binance Smart Chain and people kind of like criticized us for it, but it was a relevant story to tell at the time, you know, the same way that Avalanche was, um, Polkadot now and, and so on, like those things. It's important for our audience to know that there are other things happening. I yeah, think that's, uh, that's something else. Like that, that's kind of our, our our brand, you know, just like objectively looking at the DeFi space, wherever it well, is. And it, and it may not even necessarily be objective, but it's also just being in a position where you challenge your own biases. Mm. And it, it, I came from Harmony. And Harmony's not perfect. But at Harmony, I worked with a bunch of really hardworking people who were trying to solve a problem from a really good place. They weren't trying to be an Ethereum killer. They were just trying to solve a set of problems that they thought they could solve. And they set out to try and solve them in a way that was best fitting for them. And they're continuing to do so. And weirdly, Harmony, out of all the alternative layer ones that have kind of taken flight, is one of the ones that I, I now find myself most excited by because it's they're actually doing a lot of things really well, but nobody knows about them. And and so, it, but I also, I know them really intimately from the time I spent with them. And I'm excited to go back and look where I was at when I left them and where they are now to see how relevant they are, whether they fulfilled on that promise. But it, it gives me like, it's given me an insight into what it's like to be on the other side, to not be Ethereum, but to be trying to solve those problems, but also trying to have conversations with developers who have, Let's be honest, any, anywhere they want to work, they can find a grant. Like there are not enough developers. So like if I want to go and work for Avalanche, Avalanche will give you a grant because they need stuff to be made. Mm -hmm. And so 
you know, that's a really tough battle to fight if you are a layer one, just getting a good enough roster of talent to come and build on you. And so it seems that that, you know, you look at Avalanche, you look at Terra, Polkadot, obviously, Kasama, and Harmony is up there now. And and I'm flying under the radar. Near Protocol is another one that springs to mind. Hashgraph, Algorand. I, I, I understand the layer one battle. And I, I'm also excited by the layer two battle. I was using Metis today. Metis is epic. It's epic. Oh, yeah? It's epic. It. It's fast and cheap. <laughs> But like, there's nothing on there. I mean, it's just like it's like going and doing a test drive of a Ferrari. You go, well, that's amazing, but I'm never going to buy it. And like, <laughs> but it just gives you a glimpse of what's possible. And you're like, well, yes. And so many times we do tutorials on the channel. And I go, I mean, I go out of my way to find the weirdest stuff that we can go and highlight. Because like what DeFi is amazing at is like creating these incredibly exotic recipes of different financial Legos that you can plug together. I love all that stuff. Like nobody's ever going to use it, but it's still interesting. And then the first thing that happens is someone goes, "Yeah, but it's too expensive on Ethereum." Like, man, mm. the gas is too too much. I'm like, yeah, but if we showcase it, someone then goes and forks it on a chain that you can use. That's why we do it. And so you're you're just hoping that that exposure kind of stimulates someone to go and make a version of it that people can actually use. And uh, yeah, yeah, I feel it. I feel the need to kind of just go and um, just shine a light on how easy bridges are now. Like I hadn't mm-hmm. properly looked at bridges for like three months, four months. But bridges now, easy. There are so many good bridges, so many good bridging solutions like Keller Bridge, amazing. Poly Bridge probably will be amazing. But Keller Bridge, it's like, wow, you could just plug in anything, go anywhere. It's like this is a very long-standing project that's properly audited. I love it, and it it will I mean, be so yeah. key for bridges to to work for just like blockchain and like Web three to work. Like we need them for like all these things to connect. Um, because like I don't know like what you think, but I don't think there will be like a single chain to rule them all. Like I think we will need these connectors. Um, I think. I was investigating about the makeup of the internet um, the other day because like somebody had had told me in passing that the internet was a like a mesh of different protocols and I always thought the internet was just like this like standalone thing it's like okay this like one network that we all like use but in fact it's not like there are like many different protocols involved in how the internet is made up of. So if and you, you don't know care. that, no, and you don't care and, and you just like use it and you have no idea what actual like protocol you're, you're using and there, and there are bridges connecting these protocols. So you can make an analogy of like, okay, this is how the internet was made. Now we're, we're like making uh, an additional layer on top of this infrastructure we're like adding the value layer to the internet. And I think it's it's likely that it'll be made up in the same way, like connecting different pieces together because like not there's not one single piece that's that will be optimized to like take care of absolutely everything, you know? So for me it makes sense like okay, maybe Ethereum becomes like the most secure financial chain for like huge transactions where you don't mind like maybe paying 100 bucks like for like millions of dollars or billions of dollars of value transacted. Um, 
maybe like layer twos will will help and and take off with that. Uh, but maybe there's like other layer ones that will be uh, used for for other use cases. You know, maybe there's a gaming layer one or and so on. You know, maybe there's like an NFT one. Um, and so I think for that future to happen in if this kind of develops in the same way that the internet did, then these connectors, like these bridges, are going to be key. Yeah, and we, we have the looming specter of CBDCs and the value that's going to be transported across those and the interoperability between crypto and CBDCs. I don't know what that's going to be. Yeah. What I'm pretty sure about is that wallets will take on superpowers in ways that we can't possibly imagine. And particularly when the metaverse starts to really take shape, your wallet, your avatar, all these things will be weaponized in, in ways that we can't possibly imagine. So probably wallet providers are going to be the big winners, ultimately. Mm. Um, those ones that can float above everything. And when, when I see things like Calibridge, that could just, you know, it's a Swiss army knife. You can just plug in any network and, and get to anywhere else. And it's decentralized. You know, you can go that same route. You can use Shapeshift or Change Ellie or whatever. You can still do that. But like with Keller, it's there. It's trustless. Like doing mm. a trustless bridge is that's really hard. It's yeah. really, really hard. I don't think anyone really appreciates and they don't care anyway. And they shouldn't care because it should be a thing. It should be just done. But exactly. yeah, that 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 feeling is, um, you know, we don't know how good we've got it in some ways. What do you think will be the big story this year? Big story or like this year? like a couple of big stories, yeah. Define going to a million subscribers. That's going to oh, be the yeah. big story this year. <laughs> yeah, obviously. No, the, 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 no the, the, the big story this year is going to be... Um, the return, the the roaring return of blue chip DeFi. That's going to be kind of a, a major narrative this year. Mm. That you know, DeFi was in a bear last year, and it will emerge from that bear, and it'll become a, a real force of good. And I think that goes hand in hand with a, a vehemently mainstream anti DeFi narrative mm. posed by stablecoins. And so I, I can see, you know, the likes of Stanny, likes of Andre becoming kind of folk heroes once again in opposition to that so the bigger the kind of cbdc and stable coins are bad debate on one side the bigger DeFi strength will become on the other side the two necessarily go hand in hand and so i think that's what we're going to see this year that there's going to be a return to curve compound maker yearn these big names kind of really standing for something much bigger than simply this kind of niche weird DeFi space, but actually standing as a kind of totem for crypto in general. And that's purely because of the, the massive exposure in the broader kind of mind space of regulators and that kind of thing. I think that's a necessary component of that, which is great. I think that's, that's going to be exciting to see. That's interesting. So you think the the spotlight will come come back to DeFi after it was on NFTs and like metaverse for for most of last year, but also that the focus will come back to like the DeFi OGs, like not this like new wave of DeFi 2.0 protocols, but like the compounds, Aves, like curves, like what what started this movement. Why don't why do you yeah. think it'll like be them and not like the the new generation of DeFi? Because they have track records and they have a, they've just got a lot more skin in the game now. And when you start to see the way that particularly the boosted curve bribes, that very sophisticated kind of direction of 
of yield and liquidity towards where you want it. It's very political now. And I think that there's a lot of power and influence there. And that power and influence needs to be directed towards the big bad in the picture. And unless you have a big bad, it won't be. But if there is a big bad, and there is, I mean, this is literally trend, anti-trend. Mm. Forces of evil, one thing against another. And you've got the perfect opponent being built up right now, very visibly and very actively and very quickly on one side. And you will see these other forces massed together and grouped together. And the you know the, these, these heads of these protocols, they all know each other. And they all know what the big game is here, and they will all work together to make that happen. And I think that's that's it's not going to be you know brand new protocols that have earned the right to be there. It's going to be other ones, and then I think there will be a kind of like Olympus is still so new, we forget, mm -hmm. you know. And that's the, that's the figurehead of the DeFi 2.0 movement, Vader, all these things. They're very un, untested and very new, but this sense of like blue chip DeFi where a lot of people have got a lot of tokens and they've been gradually deflating in value, they will return this year. Mm. That's that's my kind of, that's my bet. And, it, and like I said, it'll be precisely because there will be renewed aggression and antagonism towards DeFi from the very highest levels of government. What that's I think is thing. exciting, yeah. And why, why I think that's exciting is because these um, antagonists to DeFi are pushing DeFi to be better, you know? Like, it's like the threat of regulation pushes DeFi to actually be decentralized and to actually be permissionless and censorless. And it just, like, makes um, the sector or, a lot more indestructible. Or... Or in the case or in the case of Ava, to play nice, to, like, offer this middle ground, <laughs> you know? It's true. I mean... That's which, fascinating, that one. Yeah. It is. It is. I think, you know, having having the option, we'll have to get there somewhere. I mean, some someday. Um, this kind of like fully decentralized, permissionless DeFi. But at some point, you know, talking about bridges, there will be bridges to to traditional finance. You know, like institutions will want to play um, in this field at some point. Looks like there already are. Oh, they, they they totally are. They're not idiots. They're not mm -hmm. idiots. And like the, the whole the whole CBDC thing. Like every every time you look at it, you go, well, yeah, central banks issuing currency, getting rid of physical cash. You know, on the other side, on the con side, is like erosion of privacy. Like, oh god, it's just a short hop. I think there's like my my Web three film that I made last week. I can't. There's really weird conclusions about it, but like the the Web three as Gavin Wood proposed it is about tyranny of you know those in power who don't have our best interests at heart and it, it, if you really 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 break it down like the moment you introduce financial incentives into a, a money, into a system because that's what we need to have in order to make blockchain work in order to gain consensus then you are inviting the scrutiny of regulators inevitably once you scale up and you get to a point where they can't be ignored regulators come in and you have to play nice with regulators but if regulators can't be trusted Web3 cannot genuinely happen. And so you get to this place where you go, mm -hmm. well, the, the, the kind of squishy meat-filled sacks called human beings are the problem. So maybe robots, data, you know, self-executing contracts are in fact 
what we need because they cannot be bribed and they cannot be they don't care about how rich they are they just care about executing code that's a very profound kind of philosophical argument to start having with yourself like web3 is it, the purest form of web3 has no human component that's wild I mean, we just benefit from it but web3 itself is is humanless and then it will work as it was intended yeah i think you know there there will always be humans though i mean behind these smart contracts behind these tokens there's humans holding them as end users, yeah, yeah. And, and you can try to like disintermediate and like remove third parties um and agencies as much as possible but at some point it's like there's a human there and you know you can't change human nature so i think like idealism kind of like goes so far um but i think it's worth kind of shooting for that um that new world in any case i wonder like it sounds like it it sounds like me being a web3 maximalist and saying well this without this this cannot happen but i'm also like a realist Mm -hmm. like we we are actually fundamentally a pain in the ass and and we should not be allowed to get in the way of actually what's really good about this because we we constantly abuse our privileges so actually if you turn all of this into an ai controlled or ai driven robot driven software driven self you know smart contract driven entity or being if you say that's web3 and we just really get to enjoy the fruits of that well that's a very different thing to be in but we're all just like let's make money let's make money and, and as soon as I there are incentives at stake to to do that yeah. then the regulators are coming and once they are in you the web three that we want is then compromised it might mm-hmm. not be compromised a lot but it's still compromised and therefore it's not web three anymore um i think there will probably need to be some sort of compromise uh from regulators um i think Hopefully, the space will have developed in in such a way that um, there's there's so much regulators can can do and change. I think um, what would be the best outcome is if regulators start using this technology um, to their advantage, uh, in, in the sense that it's like KYC and AML is like the the big kind of issue, right? Instead of like asking for um, platforms and protocols to provide user information, regulators can just use the data that's out there like publicly on the blockchain. And like if, if they want to see kind of where the illegal activity is, they can use like chain analysis to do that instead of requiring something from like DeFi protocols and applications that they weren't made to do, which is provide user information. So I think like that's a way that um, regulation can move with this technology uh, instead of against it. Um, and related to like your previous point, I think like what's interesting is the difference now is that you know like the saying in Web two was "Don't be evil," like that was Google's saying, yeah. and you know like the cliche is like, "No, now like." The, the the motto of Web3 should be can't be evil. So it's like, you know, if everything uh, is ruled through code and is transparent and is programmed, um, like the ideal situation is that you can't have people like manipulating and gaming the system. So 
I think that's kind of like what we're all shooting for. And at the very least, we're debating it. And that, yeah. that's not, not a place we were in, you know, even just a few years ago. What are you seeing as the big story for, for this year? I've said my piece. What's yours? There's like a couple of like developing narratives, which I think will continue. Last year, I think, was the moment where uh, L2's like layer two scaling solutions actually started to work. Um, so I think this year it will see that story uh, picking up steam. Like all of these different solutions have actually been shipped now. Uh, there's like different um, zero knowledge uh, uh, solutions. There's Arbitrum, like, of course, like Polygon, like, like Meet is like you, you were testing, like all these different solutions were uh, launched last year. Some uh, were already getting traction. Uh, I think this year we'll see just like a continuation of that, just like uh, more applications coming coming live on layer twos, more users coming to layer twos, uh, bridges improving usability there. Um, I think we'll continue to see the growth of the layer one uh, story as well. Um, so those two two stories as like a continuation to last year, uh, I think DAOs will be uh, bigger this year than they were last year. I think we're, we already kind of started seeing that at the end of last year, um, just like the potential that there is to think big with like Constitution DAO, which didn't work out, but it just like sparked people's imagination that you can do like really big and wild things when you can coordinate uh, humans and capital globally. So I'm really interested to see in like the different experiments around DAOs um, this year. Um, and then, you know, together with this potential kind of bear market uh, that I said the word that we're um, maybe seeing uh, the, the beginning of right now, I'm wondering if DeFi will get its big test because I think that's been missing. I think so far, um, DeFi hasn't really been tested. Like we had um, that big kind of MakerDAO crash uh, 2020. I think when was it, March or May uh, 2020, like Black Thursday? Yeah, Black Monday, yeah. Or Monday, Black something. Um, yeah, Black something, but, yeah. yeah. But MakerDAO was was tested. Um, the system crashed. It was uh, it had like thirty million or so bad debt, and then it recovered. Um, and it recovered, and it, and it's fine now. I think that was kind of the biggest test for for DeFi so far. But it was still limited, and it was at a time when we didn't have uh, all the complexity of like applications and protocols, and you know that that we have now. I think now like we have a much taller stack of money Legos that can crash down if something goes wrong. So I think DeFi needs that test. Like it needs that moment of, you know, market crashes like 50% in one minute and like stable coins destabilize and, you know, all these things. Um, and, you know, to prove itself that it can get through the, a very extreme um, situation and come out of it, hopefully unscathed. I think if DeFi can prove that, then uh, it can it it can get like 
people will be a lot more confident in, in using in, in using it. Uh, I think something like that happened with with Ethereum and the DAO and then the Shanghai attacks. When I was like researching for the Infinite Machine, it was like okay, like Ethereum was like okay, an interesting novelty in like between 2013 and like 2015, 16, like, okay, like people building on it, but like, who knows? Like, it's still like a pretty new thing. Um, maybe it, it's not here to stay or whatever, but then it, it, it got through the DAO, like through this like very dramatic hard fork. And then it got through the Shanghai attacks where it, like Ethereum was attacked um, for like two or three straight months. And Geth was down, but Parity kept the network running and Ethereum was never down. And after that, we saw 2017 ICOs happen. And like people like felt confident enough to like go to Ethereum to raise like billions of dollars in capital. So I don't think we've had kind of like a down moment for DeFi yet. And I think the space needs it. It's like scary, but I think it really needs it for it to actually grow. Yeah, this is classic. Whatever doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Yeah. And yeah. But I think we did have spring of last year after that insane run up. You know, UST depegged and it was catastrophic in the short term. And it was actually great in the long term because they they had all this data to work from in order to understand uh, that there's this continuing existential threat, which is USDT. So like, yeah. what happens if USDT fails? I think if you're going to say stablecoins are DeFi, then USDT is is unnecessarily large. Yes. Yeah. Takes plays an outsized position in the entire market. And until that is ceases to be the case, then yeah, we are we are under threat. And it's still up in the air, right? The USDT is it's uh, yeah, yeah. You know, when when is when is that big kind of FBI raid coming? Because you know it's coming at some point. <laughs> but it's like yeah. It's yeah. it's I mean, not good. the good news is that we have like UST and, and DAI and like other stable coins that are like chipping away at USDT market cap and therefore USDT risk. So at least there is an improvement there. That, and, and, you know, with all of those are U.S. dollar-denominated stablecoins. And, of course, there are there are other flavors of stablecoin and other flavors of, um, you know, fiat-denominated currencies that can be had now. I would like to see a, a stable euro, for instance, because the euro mm -hmm. is a massive currency that doesn't really have a proper stable version of itself. And I think from a European perspective, that would be interesting to see a, a, yeah, a euro yeah. stable coin that actually picks up traction but who knows who knows yeah. um i think the the central banks over here are going to move extremely fast and i think that's mainly because the bank of england is extremely bullish on stable coins you, uh, on cbdc's did you know that there are worldwide there's only one fully launched cbdc which is in nigeria of all I places. Know that. Wow. No, everything everything else is in a pilot phase. I think China is obviously going to roll one out pretty soon. Mm -hmm. The nearest, the nearest right now is in France. They've gotten pretty close to having a CBDC rolled out. So if France does it, then I think you can expect that it's going to happen pretty fast. 
across the whole eurozone. So yeah, that's that's something I'm keeping a close eye on because I think CBDCs will completely change the narrative around digital as you know as it relates to money. Yeah, um, yeah, that, that's yeah. another big story to watch for this year. Yeah, for sure, it's scary. No, it's not scary. It's exciting. For, it's exciting. Uh, I don't know. I'm a bit scared of CBDCs. Um, it's like too much control for for a centralized party to have. You know, it's like yeah, but it's it's good journalism. It's good fun covering it's good, this it's, stuff. It's a good story, yeah, for sure. Yeah. But I mean, we'll see. We'll see how how it plays out. Okay. To wrap up, so we talked about um, big story in DeFi um, for this year. How about for the Defined? You said a million subscribers, but what are you most excited about for us? So I think what 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 we did really well the last eighteen months was set ourselves apart as a as a place where you would find something you wouldn't find anywhere else, and and the way we do it is distinct and lovable i hope and <laughs> some of the, the people come back to time and time again because it is it is it doesn't feel like everything else that you find out there what i'm keen to do this year for the define is is we've always said like we talk the talk but let's walk the walk so discovering what it means to be a web3 company like i i i have a pretty good idea in my head about how i want to push the technology in terms of how we capture stories uh and that means using the best technology available to us and that necessarily leads into a discussion about the metaverse and gaming technology and unreal engine and all these other things that's very exciting for me and it's going to allow us to tell deeper and richer stories that are more programmatic and feel really like of the space so i think the, the biggest thing for me is like as you mentioned with bloomberg like instead of being on the outside be on the inside and tell stories in a way that could only be told from within this space by people mm. who are in this space and have that track record. And I don't, I don't know any other way to do it than to just go, it's over there. Let's go and have a look because there are no rules yet. There's nothing to say, no, this is how you do it because that's how, you know, that's how Bloomberg does it. And that's, that's how we should do it. We're going to just copy them. And we were looking at a product this week that said like, we, we're going to, make the best trusted source for explaining crypto to people you're like but how what gives you the right to say that you know how to do that like nobody tells you that they're going to do that they just start doing it and then people follow and then it becomes the thing that's organic and i think for me it's a little bit difficult to understand where we're going to be at the end of next of this year but i do know what we're interested in and where we want to go with it and i know now that we have the backing of a decent sized audience that I hope will go with us on that journey. So that that's, I think, validation amongst, uh, uh, you know, more than anything else that what we do and the way we do it is worth continuing doing that way. Don't make massive changes, just keep iterating on that. So that's what I'm excited about, just exploring new technology from that side of things. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, I'm super excited about that too. Um, okay, I, I think... For me, it's it's pretty similar. It's um, exploring where where we can go from a Web three uh, perspective. Exploring what a, a Web three media company looks like. Um, 
bringing our audience in to the content creation process, uh, bringing them into just like how we operate, uh, giving uh, our audience more ownership and agency. Um, so very, very excited to do that. Um, last year was just incredible growth uh, for us. Uh, like, yeah, our, our YouTube channel had the 20X, um, the website did 30X, um, like, I don't know, every, we, we've connected a lot deeper with our community. Uh, like we've launched, uh, like the defiant data terminal alpha. Uh, we have this new referral program. We've like completely redesigned the website, like, um, all these different things. So and I don't think like at the start of last year, uh, I would have been extremely um, surprised to see kind of what we actually were able to achieve. So like you say, like it's hard to know exactly where we'll be um, at the end of, of this year. Uh, but, you know, I think the main thing is that we have a very clear direction, which is to deliver uh, content that people can rely on and that people people can trust to um, navigate uh, the most interesting sector in tech and finance. And yeah, I just want to keep being that beacon uh, for this like huge new audience that's coming into the space. So yeah, I'm, I'm excited to like grow our audience and also grow our team. Uh, I think we need a lot of, a lot of extra hands. We'll need them. <laughs> so, and I mean, I think that'll come also with our kind of hopefully more decentralized model as well. So anyways, um, thanks everyone for joining us on this journey, everyone listening and or, or watching. And thanks Robin for joining me on the podcast. It was uh, about time that I had you on. It was a pleasure chatting. It, it was about time. But one, one last thing I wanted to say was yeah. that I remember acutely a documentary about the Neptunes, Pharrell Williams, and someone said, you can always hear when it's a Neptune's beat. And I would just love people to just know when it's a defiant piece of work, that we have this thing and it could only be us that made mm -hmm. that or wrote it that way. And that signature and whatever that is, that should come from entirely within this space. And so rather than shaping ourselves to be what people want, it's just shaping how we listen to ourselves and stay consistent and true to that. And I think we're getting really close to that now. We're getting there. Um, you know, everyone kind of listening. Yeah, feedback is always uh, welcome. If you think we're getting there, um, let us know. If you have ideas on like what we can do to, to get there, let us know as well. Um, and yeah, uh, thank you all for, for joining. And thanks again, Robin. Thank you. 100,000 subscribers. We did it. Woo. Yes. That was a big moment. <laughs> Thanks, everyone. Right. Goodbye. And before we close, here's another word about our awesome sponsors. When you shop for plane tickets, you probably use Kayak, Expedia, or Google to compare prices. So why would you limit yourself to just one exchange when you trade crypto? When you make your trades, you want to make sure you're getting the best possible price. That's why you should be using Matcha. Matcha directs your orders across all the various DeFi exchanges on Ethereum, Polygon, 
Binance Smart Chain, Phantom, and Avalanche to find the best price without taking any commissions. Matcha splits your order across multiple liquidity sources. It also allows you to make limit orders on chain so you can set and forget your trades. New to Matcha is an integrated fiat on-ramp to purchase crypto directly with your credit or debit card. Head over to matcha.xyc slash defiant and connect your wallet to start trading. Nexo is a crypto lending and exchange platform where you can buy crypto at the touch of a button using your credit or debit card and start earning double-digit annual interest that is paid out daily. Nexo supports all of the major digital assets, including Bitcoin, Ethereum, Solana, Polygon, and Polkadot. You can also borrow cash and stablecoins tax-efficiently against your digital assets without selling them. Nexo complies with high-security standards and is audited in real-time. Nearly 3 million people in over 200 countries trust Nexo with their digital assets. Whether you're just getting started or you're a seasoned pro, get the most out of your crypto today at nexo.io. That's N-E-X-O dot Unstoppable Domains is the number one provider of NFT domains. With your unique NFT domain, such as camilla.crypto or camilla.nft, you can replace your long, complex wallet addresses, verify ownership of your NFTs, log in to Web3 apps, and join tens of thousands of people using them as their Twitter usernames. Better yet, with Unstoppable Domains, you don't have to worry about gas or renewal fees. Also, you will own them forever. Go to unstoppabledomains.com and get yourname.crypto.nft or a range of other endings for as low as 5 bucks. Sirion is mission control for Web3, giving users the ability to trade DeFi tokens, transfer assets across chains, and show off their NFT collections all in one place. Sirion offers a multi-chain experience with asset tracking and trading across seven networks, including Polygon, Optimism, Arbitrum, and BSC, so you'll never miss an opportunity waiting on gas fees to drop. NFT owners can also see their favorite collectibles and art as widgets on their iPhones or Apple Watches and send them to friends and family in a few clicks. Users can explore every corner of the metaverse with Sirion from their web, desktop, and mobile apps. Head to Sirion.io to connect your wallet and get started today. I'll continue to interview all the major founders and influencers in this emerging space. When DeFi eats the world, you can say you heard them here first. Tune in next week.